Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. CNZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. It is uh, Tuesday morning here. For the next three hours, we shall cover a number of subjects here on uh, SCNZ in the mornings. Uh, beginning with uh, Gary Stead, the Black Caps coach. They have a task ahead of them, and it is beginning as we speak with a, a camp in, uh, in the Mount Maunganui, actually. So uh, we'll get uh, an update on where they're at uh, and uh, <coughs> the plans going ahead for that uh, all-important three-test tour uh, of England and then some uh, white ball cricket after that. Just after 10 o'clock, uh, we'll be talking to Liz McKinnon. Liz McKinnon is a champion speed golfer. Read about the story on stuff yesterday. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating how you can score so well running around a golf course. Uh, brilliant. Liz is a, an absolute champion at that. Uh, we'll have a panel with Guy Havelt and James Regan. Uh, we'll be looking at a, a number of issues, including cricket, the Warriors, Super Rugby, of course. The Warriors are never far from our minds. Uh, Formula One as well. Um, that's the subject of our Mount Rushmore this morning. Uh, and that is... Uh, a famous, uh, most famous four, most impressive four, best four Formula One drivers that you can think of. That's your subject for the day, double eight, double three. Uh, double eight, double three, our text line. Best four Formula One racing drivers that you can recall. Uh, and also, uh, Aroa, will, um, it'll be beautiful this morning when uh, Aroa comes in with that uh, around about 11.30 with her input as well. Uh, also, uh, David Proles and Anthony Crummy. David Proles is hockey CEO for Australia. Anthony Crummy, former uh, involvement with New Zealand cricket, now is hockey New Zealand CEO as well. Uh, both those men are coming into the studio uh, together. That'll be interesting to put them around a table. We'll see how uh, that goes just after 11 o'clock on the issues coming up. But in the meantime, let's start with some cricket. <laughs> Well, in 10 days' time, the uh, New Zealand cricket side, the Black Caps, will begin their tour of England on May the 20th with a four-day warm-up game against Sussex County side, of course, uh, followed by another on May the 26th against the first-class county sec- sec- select 11. That'll be the ones that aren't playing in county cricket, those available players at the time. Uh, that's all before facing off against uh, the now Ben Stokes-led England team beginning on the 2nd of June at Lord's. Uh, and then, of course, uh, going to Trent Bridge and Headingley as well. Five of the biggest names are currently playing in the IPL. We all know that. Uh, but uh, the rest of the squad that uh, Gary Stead has been able to put together uh, currently in Mount Maunganui. Gary Stead joins us this morning, which is great. Steady, good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Smithy. How's the camp going? Uh, yeah, good. We we came in Sunday night and we had a had a pretty big day yesterday, um, and we've got another couple of days up here 
um, of training uh, before we we head away on Saturday and Sunday and a couple of shifts to, to get over to England. So it's all it's all snuck around pretty quickly, but um, it's great to to get the guys together again. They they had a couple of weeks sort of downtime, um, no no skill stuff as such um, before we've got back in and ready for this. What is a very important tour for us. Okay, so obviously you won't quite know when some of the IPL players uh, get to England because of the fact of how far they go in the competition. So uh, what is your programme when you get to England as such? Yeah, so we'll have um, two or three days of training before we then go straight into a four-day game versus Sussex. Um, Then we travel down to Chelmsford and have another four-day game before we, we have our first test. So... One of the things that's been agreed between the, the ECB and New Zealand cricket is uh, that, that they won't have first-class status, and, and that's a little bit around making sure that our IPL guys, when they do come into the squad, still get the opportunity to get into the game and um, perhaps have some time in the middle, whether it be with the bat or the ball. So uh, I think it's something that will suit us best in terms of just preparing everyone in the, in the squad. I guess it's always a, a little bit of guesswork um, being able to get them up to test speed. How, how, how do you do that? I mean, a lot of them are very experienced test players anyway, but how do you get them from that white ball, um, you know, rock and roll style of cricket to uh, a, a first morning at Lords? Yeah, I think first thing is you are banking on, on the experience that they have and, and I guess the times that they've ad- had to adapt in the past that they can call back on that experience. But a lot of it will be getting them back into the nets, getting them into a red ball focus, getting them really clear on what their plans are in that format of the game as well. And, and I mean, when you, when you start talking about the likes of the Williamson, Conway, Bolt, Saudi, I mean, they, they have a lot of test match, well, not so much Conway, but a lot of cricket experience to call back on where mm. um, I, have, I have real faith in them that they, they know where they need to be to be ready to perform. Right, one of the great uh, factors about going from uh, New Zealand conditions or the way we play the game in this country to the way they play in England is the cricket ball itself. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't quite understand the difference between a juke ball and a a kookaburra ball, but there is quite a big difference when it comes to both batting and bowling. Have you been able to get juke ball practice, and what are the differences in your mind? Yep, we've got all the balls we're here that we've got using in the mountain are jukes balls. they certainly are a little bit harder on the whole than, than the kookaburra ball that we traditionally use, and that just means that they um, probably uh, stay in condition and swing just a little bit longer as well. Um, but there are still, I think there's, there's sometimes you can make too much of the Duke's ball, and, and they still have periods of time where the, the wickets can become very flat over there, and you have to make the most of those situations. Mm. But... On the whole, I think our swing bowlers always look forward to um, to going to England to using Duke balls because it does just, just swing that little bit longer traditionally than what a kookaburra ball does. Gary, usually um, with yourself and, and uh, Gavin Larson, of course, who's uh, been doing the selecting role alongside you, uh, it's pretty much fallen into place because the way that uh, the guys have been playing, it's been a lot of consistency of selection, barring injury, etc. Uh, what kind of... What kind of um, pad do you go to England with? Do you have an open mind um, when it comes to your squad of 20 or are you pretty fixed in your ideas of when you drop the five off? Um, no, I mean, we, we have an idea of what that might look like, but also we don't want to, I guess, commit too early when you then 
don't see the form of people. You see the what the pitches are like, what the weather's like, because that could have a, an impact on your on your final fifteen as well. But I mean, we we as you're right. We've had a reasonably settled um, group of players through the Test match format in particular. Uh, and I think no surprises in a way that we've probably done best in that format as well, in, in that guys are secure in their positions and understand where they stand. And that's, the, I guess, the balance that you have in selecting teams and, and, and not wanting to, uh, I guess, rock that boat too much and give players the security that they feel that they, they might need. How's uh, Cole Jameson looking? He's looking great. Um, He's, I, I think the, the time off cricket has been really important and I think last year was a great learning experience for Kyle as well. He he went to the IPL, uh, he then went across and played some county cricket and, and came back and to be honest probably was just a little bit off after that and I think that's part of his learning and, and some, sometimes what young players need to go through is they understand how much how much is too much and, and I think Kyle reached that that mark and, and now has come back fitter, stronger, looking great. The uh, inclusion of spin as well, um, uh, quite often in English conditions, as you say, the, ball, the pitch does get flat, the ball doesn't do anything for you, therefore you have to revert to uh, other options. Spin has to be quite a viable option in English conditions, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, uh, we've selected Ajaz Patel, I guess, as our number one spinner in, in the squad and um, and I would expect that he goes right through the tour and, and becomes a real option to play. Uh, we'll also obviously do our homework on each of the grounds. We'll look back to last year and we played at Lords. We had a full day rained out, but still got ourselves in a position to potentially win it. And, and I think they, they tend to cut their um, pitches a little bit shorter here with, with grass than what we do. So ours look a, a real, I guess, green and lush-looking conditions. Theirs look shorter. So I think the, the footmarks become more pronounced and the spin bowlers definitely come into play faster. These are three grounds, um, historically, where we've gone OK. I think we've won tests at all three of them. Yeah, and that, that's great for us to be able to call back on that and hopefully... Uh, some of the guys here in the squad would have had some of the experiences of those grounds, which I, I know they have. So, um, yeah, the, it's, it's unique playing in, in England, as you know, Smithy. All the grounds, some of them have slight slopes on them and getting used to that. And there's always that, um, I guess, wonderful feeling of uh, a really supportive crowds and stuff as well that, that get in behind the cricket and good cricket as well. So it's always a pleasure to play in, in, in these places. When it comes to uh, the wicket-keeping side of things, of course, uh, Tom Blundell's got number one sewn up at the moment. Uh, when you look to your final 15, do you consider Tom Latham a viable keeping cover in terms of finding the balance, or have you just, in terms of test match cricket, ruled Tom out of it? Bearing in mind, of course, he probably all going well, and we pray for this, that Kane Williamson is available to captain the side. Yeah, uh, that's a good question, and... and um Probably when we look at Tom Latham, we say his, his value to us as a batsman is is so high that we actually don't want to give him the gloves. So I think it's more likely that we would have a, a full-time second-string option um, in the keeping side of it in our final 15. Uh, that obviously still has to be confirmed, but we don't really want to give Tom Latham or Devin Conway, for that matter, any any... I guess, extra responsibility where their runs for us in Test Match Cricket become so important. OK, let's look at the opposition. Um, and I imagine it's a little hard for you to do some scouting on them because 
I'm not even sure they know who they're going to have uh, at this point. What we do know, though, is they've got a new captain in Ben Stokes, who is a pretty upfront, fighting sort of a cricketer. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I'm sure he'll bring that, that spirit to the England dressing room and the England side as well. Um, uh, ben Stokes wasn't part of their uh, playing 11 uh, last year. He was injured when we played them, so no doubt him just coming back into the squad will, will strengthen them up as well, but yeah, he, he's, he's an upfront, in your face type cricketer, and, and I'm sure that he'll be asking that of his players, and, and it already signalled the potential returns of Anderson and Broad as well. So they will certainly be an experienced group that, that, that we are likely to face. Yeah, well, Anderson and Broad, that's another uh, interesting one, because here you've got two guys, of course, at, towards the end of their career, but determined to go out on their own terms, and uh, here's an opportunity for them which makes them dangerous. Absolutely, it does. Um, look, we're, we're, we're obviously going to have some key matchups and, and some people that we have to nullify when in that test series, and no doubt that there'll be, there'll be two of them, and they'll be, I guess, as you say, extra determined to, to go and show that the selectors got it wrong in the West Indies for, from an English point of view. Um, so that does make them dangerous, but look, I mean, it's the, it's the hard thing about when players get to, to late in their careers as well, and... and, and um, you're never there forever, and that's something I guess England have to work through and, and work that out with those players. Right, let's uh, look at uh, a couple of other issues. Have you been in contact with Kane? How's the elbow? I mean, it's the most uh, important joint in the country. We, we need to be updated on it. <laughs> yeah, he's going well. He's going really well. Um, he's spent some good time in the in the nets and batting, and, and I think is right on target to where we wanted him to be and expected him to be at this time. Um, I, I think the reality for us and for Kane is is that we're going to have to ma- keep managing this for a while, and that that doesn't mean that he won't necessarily play games for us. It, it, I think what it will mean is he will probably uh, just train a little less than normal, which I'm sure some of our coaches will be pleased about for their shoulders perspective. But um, look, it's it's great. He, he's back. He, he's he's looking forward to Test cricket again. And then I know last year was particularly hard for him to miss Test matches. So you've got two players, I understand, playing county cricket. Will Young, I think, for Northamptonshire. Colin de Grandon playing a bit of cricket for Surrey. Any others in England playing cricket? Uh, they, they're there at the moment. Michael Brace was also over there um, with some club stuff up in, in the Lancashire League. Uh, so they will all join up with us. And, and the IPL guys, as they join from sort of Sunday onwards. So how does... Uh, how do you view Michael Bracewell? He's, uh, I mean, he's not a, na- a new name to uh, domestic cricket in this country, a very new name to international cricket. How do you, how do you see his role within the group? Yeah, I mean, he, he brings... I mean, what the thing that, that's excited us the most is the shape that he, he gets on the ball. And I think he started his, I guess, career as a spin bowler very late, Um Mm. But he certainly he has massive big hands. He's a big, tall bowler. And, and probably for us, we look at this as a little bit of investment for the future as well to give Michael some experience around the test group. Um, whether he makes the final cut of 15 or not, um, we'll still have to wait and see. But we still we certainly have some tours coming up in the future. And, and, we, and we want to keep developing, I guess, our options to be our second spinner in the future behind HS Patel. Gary, uh, after the tests, of course, uh, what is uh, for the squad? Or you have to pick new squads, is that correct? Yeah, we'll be uh, selecting new squads um, to go right through, uh, I guess, 
Ireland, Scotland, Netherlands, and then also a squad to go to the West Indies as well. Right, okay. Um, and that is predominantly for uh, white ball cricket, yeah? Yeah, that's all white ball cricket, Smithy. So in that in that time, we will play, uh, I think there's seven ODIs and about, uh, there'll be more, there'll be about 10 T20s in that period of time. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing it sort of tour by, by tour basis and there will be some changing uh, within the squad of players and of, of support staff as well just to, I guess, loosen the load a wee bit. Some of our learning through COVID is, is trying to keep players fresh for important times of the year and obviously at the end of this year we've got a, a T20 World Cup where we want to make sure that we're fit and firing and have everyone fit at, at that time of the year. Gary, one of the things being talked about at the moment, in fact, uh, Brendan McCullum's name has been in lights as well, is the fact that um, he may well perhaps go in and help England out in terms of their white ball cricket as such. Uh, you do all, all three forms as a head coach. How do you cope when other sides are looking to split the roles? Um, yeah, I mean, not all teams are looking to split roles in that as well, and, so, and it does have its challenges, but at times I need to take a step back and, and you'll see at, at, at times even over the winter that Shane Jurgensen's likely to lead a tour and, and for me to step away for a while and I think that's just developing your, your players within your group as well and um, yeah there's no doubt it, it is, it is uh, tiring and it's hard work but it's also hugely rewarding as well and uh, yeah at the moment at the moment we're still comfortable with uh, the setup the way it is at New Zealand. Top five uh, for the test, uh, are we looking at, at Will Young at the top with Tom and then what, uh, Kane, uh, Devin Conway and um, Henry Nichols? Is that pretty much how it looks? Yeah, I think that's how it's likely to look. I mean, they, they've been, with everyone back fit, um, yeah, they, they, they have been our, I guess, incumbents in, in, the, in those positions and, um, and I think it looks a strong-looking top order to me. Um, so looking forward to them getting in and, and batting and, and spending a lot of time in the middle. So that leaves, uh, obviously, Tom Blundell. Uh, and then you've got your, your number seven spot, which um, I suppose is the one that you, you work around in terms of your spin option as well, not necessarily with the spinner batting at seven, but some sort of, uh, some sort of type of player at seven who can add to that balance with spin. Is that, is that how it sort of works? Yep, yeah, right on there, Smithy. So uh, that, that's how I guess we would view it. But I guess if we decide to go down the, the spin option, then we'd have to make a decision whether we either go with uh, an all-rounder in that spot or we go with, a, I guess, a batter light and, and go with frontline bowlers. So, I mean, I think traditionally in the in the last five or six years, the, the all-rounders role has been a really important role for us in, in New Zealand. Um a couple of years ago, we were, were forced into not having it uh, when when Colin de Grondheim was out injured for about eighteen months with his with his bad foot. But um, mm. yeah, I guess that's that, that's the selection decision that we'll need to make when we look at the conditions and, and the pitch and, and work out what our final eleven seems best. How do you prioritise, uh, Gary? I mean, normally speaking, a, a Test match tour of England with Test championship points at hand would be one of the great focuses of a year of cricket. But uh, then you look at, of course, the T20 World Cup, which follows on what in about five, six months' time now. So, how do you prioritise? What, what, what is what is your number one goal this year, or do you have one? Well, I guess it's just looking at each tour and what we can do at that time to get the best out of it. So, whilst we're there for the Test series, then. 
our number one priority is to to pick up as many World Test Championship points as we can and hopefully win um, win Test matches there. And then we will, I guess, immediately once that's done, we'll we'll flick into one day um, qualifying because we play Ireland immediately after that, and they'll be. Uh, ODI World Cup qualifying games, so it's it's really just getting clear at the time around where our focus is, and that's why at times it is good to have some slight changes in um, personnel of the team, so so they they can come in and be nice and fresh around what the, what the goal is at hand as well. Well, Gareth, great catching up with you as always. Nice uh, to get inside the camp and just see where everything's at. Uh, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, travel safe. Play well, enjoy England. Uh, it's one of the great places to play cricket and watch cricket. So have, have, have a great time, mate. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Gary Stead there, head coach, of course, for uh, the Black Caps are in camp at the moment. Mount Monganui head off this weekend, uh, and then they go to the three most magnificent places I can think of to play cricket with uh, all the characteristics and idiosyncrasies of those grounds, Lords, Trent Bridge, and Headingley, where New Zealand have won test matches in the past. It's 9.23 here on SENZ, double eight, double three. Formula One drivers uh, is our Mount Rushmore for the day. The, the four greatest in your mind, Formula One drivers, uh, over the, all the years, there'll be some older people that go way, way back to the likes of Sterling Moss and co. So um, apart from that, uh, who are your four greatest? And there might be some Kiwis in there as well. Uh, and our subject, I think, just after 9.30 for the talkback this morning is uh, how would you fix the Warriors? I mean, it's hot. I watch these texts come in to the guys in the morning. How would you fix the Warriors? How, how deep is the problem? Um, do we um, do we say goodbye to Nathan Brown? Um, I mean, at, at what point do do we say goodbye to those people making those decisions, or do we say goodbye to some of the players, the key players? So, really love to hear your calls on that uh, on 0800 150 How do you envisage fixing the Warriors? Also. What chance do you give us in the test series in England? What chance in that three test series? 0800 150 811. Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. number of texts uh, in again uh, this morning on the subject of uh, Formula One drivers. Uh, you've been hot on this. Uh, Bruce McLaren, Jackie Stewart, Ayrton Senna. And Michael Schumacher, they're very good uh, for their high power. They all are, actually, to be fair. Uh, Bruce McLaren, Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, and reluctantly, uh, Lewis Hamilton as a driver, not so much as a person. Well, there you go, Tony. Uh, Jared's come in with uh, Schumacher, Senna, Fangio, and Mika Hakkinen. Uh, good on you, Jared. Uh, Mount Rushmore Formula One drivers are Juan Manuel Fangio, Jim Clark. Alarm Prost, Mika Harkin, and that's Mark from Lower Hutt. Uh, this uh, is a good subject. Obviously, you guys have uh, really come in hot on this. Here's one I haven't heard of. Um, Bruce McLaren, Denny Holm, Chris Amon, Howden Ganley. Howden Ganley, is that some guy who's a mate of yours, Dale? Howden Ganley, or am I just um, preempt the preemptive texting has uh, taken that a long way away from my thought pattern? Howden Ganley, I have to think about that one, Dale. Uh, thanks very much for those uh, people that have come in uh, already. Um, also, uh, don't forget, we're opening up the lines uh, straight after the news here. 0800 How would you fix the Warriors if you had an opportunity to walk in uh, and just start again, if you like, or whatever? How would you fix the Warriors? Flag this season and rebuild for next year. Would you do that? Would you change the coach? Would you change personnel? How would you fix it? 
Uh, also, um, the other uh, option to talk about perhaps is uh, what do you think our chances are for this tour of England and the three test matches that are coming up. Uh, Gary Stead just previewing it for us uh, a moment or two ago. It is 9.30, here's up. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Nine thirty-two here on SENZ. Yes, uh, get on the line. Uh, 0800-150-811. You can be in the draw to win a chemist uh, warehouse voucher for the value of fifty bucks this morning. First up, insane. G'day, fella. How are you? How's the weather down there? Uh, mate, the sun's shining, but unfortunately, I'm doing a bit of work for once. I'm not out on Parapanamu golf course there, unfortunately. But uh, hey, it's all good. Well, it's so, not um, a bad backyard to have, mate. Not a bad backyard oh, for you to not. have, I've got to say. Nah. To you want to have a crack about the Warriors? Have a crack about the Warriors. It's, um, you know, you, you've heard a few texts and calls from me over the days, you know, how much I'm passionate about them. But, mate, I, I think disappointment would be the key word this weekend, whereas, like, when it was Melbourne, it was just anger and frustration. But I just, I don't know how we get out of this. We, um, just don't seem to have the on-field leadership and I think that's sort of been the case since we lost Steve Price um, we had guys like Simon Mannering who was an awesome leader show by example but if you look at the moment other than Matt Lodge no one's talking um, you know you, you could just see I honestly thought if I was worst fan at half time I would have put that um, you know 100 bucks at 21 to 1 or 21 dollars to the um, what do you call them, the Sharks to win by 13 and over it was just so frustrating you could see it unfolding but there's no one on the field who could turn it around. And you just look at Sean Johnson, you know, love the guy when he runs and steps, but he just looked lost. Had no idea how to lead them into the corners. You know, we got those first two tries, spread the ball from left to right, left to right, and you just waltz over. But then after that, they're just running straight up the middle. Frustrating, mate, I tell you. Frustrating. Okay, so let's look at uh, Sean Johnson here. He's the money man. He's, he's the decision maker the whole game. Supposedly, once you get your yardage up front, is around his thinking on where he drives and which corner, etc. He puts them into. What is wrong with him? What What is wrong with Sean Johnson? Uh, I mean, was he, has it been anything I mean, I since he went? Yeah, I mean, he he. Had, I watched him a few times when he was playing for Cronulla, and he started to develop a little bit more of a structured sort of um, you know seven game. But since he's been back, he just seems like a headless chicken. And I I wonder if it's not um, Wade Egan, a um, hooker. If you've got a decent hooker controlling the ruck and sort of giving them quality ball and making sure that your halves are getting the ball at the right time, I think it makes a big difference. But the balls, you know, he's getting balls up above his head. He's not running onto it. And I think that puts him on the back foot from the start if he's, like, if he's not really meant to be a seven. Um, so I still wonder if that's why we've got this Freddie Lussick coming in um, to maybe give him a little bit better ball. But I don't think it's just him. Um, you've got Adam Fanua Blake, great you know, player to lead by example. But again, I haven't seen him say a word on the field. And the only guy I saw on the weekend who was shouting and screaming was Lodge, but he's off for half the game. You know, <laughs> you've got Walsh is like 19 years old. He's you know, shouting a bit from the back there, but you definitely need some leadership in and around the ruck, which should be Sean Johnson, but I just don't see it. Um, and I don't want to hate on him. I do like the guy. That, you know, it's kind of nice to have a, an old school guy come back, but if he can't deliver, who's going to do it? Honestly. Um, would, and the other would point I'm saying... 
So I was just going to say, would we be better, Zane, with a Cleary? I mean, would Cleary make us any better or a Munster? Oh, overnight. Overnight. I mean, if you, I think that the key thing is we need another prop who maintains the momentum so you can always have Matt Lodge, um, Adam Fenua Blake, one of those two guys on the field and another guy to back them up. I mean, Bunty runs hard but doesn't make post-contact metre, so you maintain the momentum there. Um, then you can have a calf who can play off the back of that um, overnight, Cleary. Um, another one is centre. Every one of the top four teams has a centre who can create and control the back line. We don't have that at the moment. So our edges are just being picked apart on defence and then the, you know, when we go wide, the ball just stops. So there's a few holes there. I mean, they're recruiting these young guys that hopefully have a bit of talent, but what happens over the next two years until they sort of you know, get to that 100 game point where they can stand on their own two feet, we don't have that leadership, mate, and I don't see where it's coming from. Mm. But um, just one other quick point, Smithy. I mean, I follow a lot of Warriors groups online, obviously. After this game, I've never seen that level of comment after the, after a game, and everyone was just talking about disappointment um, and how frustrating it was. I think it's it's one step away from disengagement now because you've gone from anger, you've got to disappointment, and then, worst-case scenario, they arrive back in Auckland, lose their first game, and then all of a sudden I've got 5,000 people turning up the week afterwards. So, yeah, tough times ahead. Tough times ahead, all right. Yeah, and that, and that is the, the problem for, for me, that uh, they, I think they're starting... Attitude uh, or lack of attitude starts to put fans off, and I, I, I think that's quite dangerous, uh, Zane. And when you start when you start chipping away at your core fan base, you know those ones that have been hanging in there forever, the likes of yourself, uh, when you start chipping away at that, you're in big trouble. It's transparency, Smitty. We need some, you know, something from the leadership of the club talking about where are they going, what, you know, how do we maintain the faith? The faith. I know they're talking about shifting to becoming a um, development club again, but what's the timeline on that? Who's running that? You know, so we can see a little bit into the future. I know, I know they have to recruit now to fill holes, but and I do like the idea of becoming a development club like um, the Penriffs. But tell us how it's going to happen. Who's going to be running it to give us something to get excited about? Because this season's going to get messy and lose a lot of people's interest. So anyway, here's hoping we beat South South Sydney this weekend and we'll forget about it for a while. Yeah, that's the thing. That that's the frustrating <laughs> thing about it for me, Zane, is that they they absolutely get you, absolutely chewing, chewing, spitting uh, uh, after a performance like that. Uh, you whinge and moan about them all week, and then they turn up and win the next one. I mean, they're just uncanny. Well, Let's hope that that trend team continues. Naming, team naming Tuesday is like the day <laughs> that you start to reset for the next week. So by Thursday, I'll be ready to go. <laughs> Good on you, boy. Good on you, Zane. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for the call this morning. Steve is on the line. Morning, Steve. Morning, Smithy, mate. Hey, I just thought I'd jump in. I've just been driving to work listening to Bricky. I've just parked up now, and I'm just sort of... My thing with the Warriors, mate, I just, I really need to see Sean Johnson stand up. I just, just from watching last week against Cronulla, it was this return game there, and I just, I thought it was just rather average, if I'm honest. And, and being being the leader of that team, I just, I really need to see something, because we're so deep into the season now for where I'd hope he'd want it to be, Smithy, but he just hasn't got there yet. I'm just wondering, just what, what is it going to take for them to sort of stand up as a unit Short to grab them all together and just tell them this is where we need to go from here. Just have a full reset before before this weekend. Yeah, well, I think you're right. Uh, I'm not quite sure how, if they've got the cattle to reset with. That that is the problem for me. And 
Uh, of course, the thing about Sean Johnson is uh, he kicks a, an extra time or a golden point drop goal, and he, you know everyone throws him on their shoulders and carries him around the park like he's uh, the proverbial. But uh, and he's he's hot for uh, a, a week maybe, and then he just goes absolutely doesn't seem to with Sean Johnson to be too much consistent middle ground. That was the thing. I mean, he, even if he was consistent, um, it would be there. But he continually, for me, raises our hopes. Uh, you know. Uh, in the past, we've had genuine leaders in, in those positions who you could go to and say, he's the guy calling the shots. But you're right, Steve. Who is the player you look at out there and you say, well, he's in control of the situation regardless? I just I just think it, it may be even a confidence thing, because you can see it, uh, especially when you saw that Cronulla game, when, when he was kicking in the corner, it was, just, it was just mediocre, you know? And you'd see him drop his head. And that's just not really something you, you have to do as a leader, and, and, and it really affects the whole team as well. And I, I think it's rubbing off a tiny bit, and full credit to Reese Walsh, but it was just, you can just tell that, that the way that Sean's leading this team around now, it's just not the right way, and he knows it as well, but it's just, you're being on this with they just they need someone. Some, if it's not SJ, who is it that's going to step up and, and really take them to that next step? Steve, thank Thank you very much for your call. Um, everyone's sort of on the, pretty much on the same wavelength. I mean, we can see it sitting back from afar. Um, I just wonder, you know, why they can't, or if they can, why they can't do something about it. Kerry from Manawatu. Good morning to you, Kerry. Yeah, hey, Smithy. Um, yeah, I, I, I laugh now because uh, I, I was a staunch Warriors supporter from '95 and. I, I let them go three years ago. I just had enough. I just couldn't do it anymore. And um, I, I said to the boys, I said, that's me, man. I'm gone. I just can't do this anymore. I'm out of the Warriors supporter group. And I have been now for three years. And, yeah, I laugh now. Even Adam Blair the other night on, on TV, he was saying, you know, all, all broken record excuses. He was there not so long ago in the same... Um, team doing the same things and um yeah it's just yeah i i um i enjoy now opening a beer not being a warrior supporter okay so you don't watch Kerry, is that you, you watch but not with the same oh. passion or you just don't watch at all oh, yeah no, i know i i still watch but yeah i yeah um i just just about support the other team now and and um for, for me, that a coach change, I think it would be fantastic to see Bellamy coach them because, man, you'd see him chuck chairs out the windows, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. I mean, Nathan Brown just sits there. I mean, he must, um, any human being would be it would be stewing underneath. You would think anyone uh, would would be well, absolutely with their job on the line. It's a high profile job. I mean, you know, if oh, you've yeah. got a team that performs well, as a coach, you're not under pressure, um, you know, yep. and then you can start to look for titles. But at least when you see a lack of attitude, right, when you see a lack of trying, which he has admitted to, that for me yep. is about as deep as you can go in a franchise when they don't seem to want to try as full-time, yep. fully paid, well-paid athletes. I don't get that. Yeah, exactly. But you... you, you yeah, you, you see Bellamy and the coaches' boxes go off when Melbourne are having a bad day. Man, you imagine him in the box coaching the Warriors. <laughs> it would be unbelievable. Oh, look, I, don't, I don't think he'd last a season with this Warriors group no. at the moment. Um, no. Honestly, um, they're, 
there'd be trouble. There'd be all sorts of trouble. I think there'd have to be security on the dressing room door. I mean, oh. it would just there'd be times where he would not be. He just wouldn't want to. It wouldn't be safe for him to go in the dressing room at halftime or after no. games. I would think with his his competitive attitude. I, I tell you, he wouldn't be far behind Ricky Stewart. Yeah, 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 true, true, yep, yep. Maybe, maybe we get them both out. Yeah, maybe we get them both out. That'd be a combo. If they couldn't fix the attitude, who could? Um, Kerry from Manawatu there calling in. Thanks very much, uh, folks. We'll close the lines now. That's uh, perfect this morning. I think we get the gist uh, from uh, Zane, from Steve, from uh, Kerry. Uh, reflect the feelings of all of us, really. And, it, I mean, it's uh, what is interesting, though, is this subject just doesn't go away. The boys get it on breakfast. Uh, we have it here on mornings, Staffy in the afternoons and the evenings, of course, as well. It's a, it's a really, it, it's, a, it's a side we love to hate. I mean, it's a side we love to hate and find it very hard to love at times, but they continue to be in our thinking. It is quite staggering for a side that has never reached the ultimate, never reached the ultimate, and year after year uh, in the past they've cut down forests writing articles um, to uh, tell us how well they're going to go. And year after year, we buy into it. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. Bills arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Number of texts uh, have come in on uh, a number of issues. Warriors hot, obviously our Formula One drivers as well. That uh, we will have uh, a Mount Rushmore coming in just uh, around about eleven forty this morning on uh, our favourite four over the whole history of uh, Formula One motor racing. Uh, Dale has come in and said Zane won the bed last year, didn't he? Was it any good? We don't know. We'll ask him next time he calls. And <laughs> uh, Dale uh, also says, as for those Warriors. Leave them in Oz, let them be Queensland's fourth team, and we can start again in New Zealand. Well, an interesting theory, that, because they're looking at starting again um, in Wellington, aren't they? And uh, there was um, there's also talk about a South Island team. How can we run one or two two franchises or three franchises when we have no luck with one? Hmm, interesting. Uh, Smithy, Mark says, Smithy is the Warriors. Warriors, the correct spelling of the Warriors. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It is for those genuine fans. Will it be better, says James, when we get Tohu Harris uh, back? Well, we'll certainly get some go forward. And we certainly get some um, rugby league nows on the field, and he is a genuine leader, I would imagine. Uh, it might. It just might be what uh, they need. Um, Dave from Nelson says, I would open the checkbook and spend whatever it takes to bring James Maloney back from France. Uh, and on that uh, theory, that, uh, that also... It's a good one, actually, because... Uh, Someone has come in and said, look, oh, here it is, Sam. Uh, for Johnson to be a good player, uh, he, he needs a James Maloney or a Jad, Chad Townsend at six who is prepared to drive the team around the park. Uh, and uh, Johnson can then step up in the final third and run the attacking plays. Looks at his, looked at his best uh, seasons, 2011, James Maloney. 2021, Chad Townsend for the Sharks. He's not a, a driver team player around the park player. That's Sam from uh, Hawke's Bay. Uh, Cameron George uh, needs to go, says uh, Liam. Not sure why the Warriors aren't playing at home already when the Phoenix could do it. He needs to make an effort and get uh, our team home for the fans. His decision to sign a coach with a worse record than the previous coach is an absolute joke and clearly no thought went into that decision. Sean Johnson needs to retire. He's uh, clearly scared of contact and goes missing every game. Heads need to roll. Would be, uh, next head need to roll would be Nathan Brown and the defence coach. Uh, interesting there. Um, on the other subject that we're talking about this morning, of course, is Formula One motor racing drivers. 
Uh, Texas come in and said uh, Fangio, Senna, Schumacher, Hamilton. Fangio, Senna, Schumacher, Hamilton. Mm. Uh, Warriors, who knows? They keep uh, trying, but it is a struggle. Perhaps make a proper analysis once they can play a season with home games. Yeah, well, there is that. There is that. Uh, the cricket tour to uh, England. 2-0 to New Zealand with just one draw. England will certainly fight harder, harder under Stokes, but I expect us to be just a little bit better. Chris Amon, Bruce McLaren, Nigel Mansell, David Coulthard. That's uh, from Kerry. Uh, coming in with his uh, suggestions on the four Formula One motor racing drivers. Um, Matt says, what, James Maloney, isn't he on a drugs ban? Isn't he on a drugs ban? Um not sure about that. Uh, Smithy, quickly, I can jump in on that. He's been cleared and he's yeah. returned to play. Okay, he's returned to play. That's good news. Good news all round for James Maloney and maybe he could be on the shopping list. 9.53 here on SENZ. Certainly helped Reese Walsh, couldn't he? Uh, it is time for a break. When we come back, a multi before 10 o'clock. Too sure how I feel about them tipping out my horses, but they do get that mint mail. Louis and Mick, each Saturday from 8am on the mail run. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Two in a row. Uh, yesterday we got up as well with the 76ers beating Miami at a buck seventy. The Dodgers to beat the Cubs at a dollar fifty one, and Vancouver beat Toronto one 0 to round it off four dollars forty one. Today, uh, Brisbane Roar and to Sydney FC. They're playing tonight. Uh, $3.40 for the draw. Milwaukee to beat Boston in the NBA this afternoon at $1.85. And Diego Schwartzman to beat Tech in the ATP, the latest event there. So it's $1.61. So uh, $10.13. $10.13. Uh, we're going greedy, but we're on a roll. Why not? 10 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.03 here on SENZ and a new subject for me. Uh, well, I say it's an old subject, but a new form of that subject. We're going to be talking golf now and speed golf, in fact. And when you think of golf, you might think of driving your ball down the fairway before either casually walking after it or hopping into your cart, as I do, to chase it and set up for the next shot. Depending on how you go, it could be a leisurely time on the greens, but that's not the case if you are playing speed golf. So over the weekend, New Zealand's Speed Golf Open was held at the Fitzroy Golf Club in New Plymouth. James Reid uh, was on, uh, the, man, the men's champion was on with Izzy and Kempe on the Brecky Show this morning. Uh, but uh, our next guest, of course, won the women's side of things and has done it for four years. The four years she's tried, the four years she's won. She is an amazing champion, and it's very good morning to Liz McKinnon. Hi, good morning, Smithy. How are you? Oh, well, I'm cool. I'm I'm tired thinking about talking about this, to be fair, <laughs> but I'm going to try and educate myself a wee bit here, Liz, as, as well as everyone that's listening in here. So four from sure. four as the national speed golf champion. Tell us, please. Oh, a little uh, bit more than that, how, actually. How, I've been playing for the last eight years, but, um, sorry, eight for eight. <laughs> well, not quite. Seven well, eight, eight for eight. 
So yeah, almost. Oh, right. There was, was one year it. I was overseas and unable to play, so um, I didn't compete oh. one year. But every year I've competed. Well, yeah, but that's okay. It's all good. I'm not going to fight those no, details. No, no. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just getting my information um, off a source that gave me four from four, but that's that's fine uh, when I read it this morning. So seven from eight. We'll give you the eight because you obviously would have won it if you were <laughs> home. So how, do, how, does it, how does it work? How does it work? Yeah. Um, like uh, normal golf, I actually call normal golf slow golf in our family. It's what it's called. There's slow golf and fast golf in our family. Um, so it is about getting the ball in the hole and the least number of shots. But with ski, speed golf, it's about how quickly can you do that. Um, and if you're Jamie Reid as uh, the best in the world, you can do that in, in around 30 minutes. But um, speed golf could also be golf at pace. So if you're not as a great a runner as, as Jamie, you know, it could be going around 18 holes in, in around two hours. You know, we'd call that speed golf as well. Okay, so how good a golfer are you in terms of slow golf? <laughs> um, I, I've played on the Ladies European Tour for uh, four years, um, over, over 13 years ago. Um, so I did reach a, a high level, so my golf's at a good standard. Um, in terms of my running, I'm not at, at, at Jamie's level, so he went around exactly the same course as I did. He went around in 31 minutes, whereas I went around in um, 51, 52 minutes. So um, golf is my strength, not my running, but, you know, pretty fit too. Okay, um, so let's, let's get into uh, the practical side of how you prepare for a, an Open uh, in this respect. I mean... I envisage you running around a golf course quickly, playing golf quickly as practice, but it's not always practical when you look at the way golf is played in terms of slow golf. I mean, you just couldn't do that. So when, how do you prepare? Yeah, true. So the easiest times um, are in the morning before the normal field of a play starts. So getting out there early, getting approval from the, the greenkeeper, so you don't get in their way for, for prepping. But that's the nicest. Like, there's nothing better than there's nobody else in the golf course and you. Like, that's, that's cool. The other times are near the end of the day um, as the sun's setting and there's less golfers out there while they're all starting to head in because it's getting a bit dark. Um, you know, if you can go around nine holes in and, and, and 30 minutes as they're starting to head in, you can um, go out and, and play a few holes. Uh, also, some of those sort of smaller country courses have a little bit more availability. Um, a bit harder in Auckland with the increase in membership and rounds played, but the mornings, that's the key time. You'd have to hit it pretty straight. I mean, you ha- uh, as you say, you're, you've been a, a terrific golfer over the years, but you'd have to be a pretty good golfer because if you don't hit it straight, it's going to take a lot longer, surely. Yeah, sure. The straighter you hit it, um, the other thing too is not hitting it too long, you know, because then you're duplicating up a, a bit of extra running distance. So there's a little bit of gameplay, a little bit of smarts that are, are needed. Um, but I guess there's, there's different levels here. You know, at the National Speed Golf, there are sort of the country's best speed golfers and in some cases the, the world's best. We also had Rob Hogan over from Ireland. So but, you know, anybody can do speed golf or sometimes it can be called golf at, at pace. Um, so by taking only a, a couple of clubs, you can take one. You know, there were some people over the weekend that only took like a six iron or seven irons. They were playing everything with that one club. Um, you know, golf is traditionally played with up to 14 clubs. And, and speed golf just challenges that mindset by, hey, just take a few less. I, I usually take four clubs. 
um, and it mm. increases your creativity and, and enjoyment. It, it makes it a lot less confusing, a lot, um, you know, you don't have to think too hard about your club. You're just getting up to the ball, you know, you know what club it is and, and hitting the shots. There's a lot of greater enjoyment, I think. Okay, so uh, you look at the, the club selection that you make. You, you take four golf clubs, right? So what are the four you, yep. you rely on? Uh, three wood, simply because I don't have to tee up my driver and I can play it off the fairway as well as the, the tee. So three wood, usually mm. six iron, that usually sort of gets the longer par threes. Nine iron, um, it's enough loft there to get out of bunkers and to sort of chip and pitch with. And then my putter. So some golfers like, like Jamie, he doesn't take a putter, um, whereas for me it's my strength. Um, so, yeah, I, I keep putter in my, in my bag. Okay, let's look at uh, your two uh, performances over the weekend. Uh, on the first day, you shot 70, first round, 74, and 52 minutes and 54 seconds for a combined score of 126.54. How does that work? Yeah, um, so, yep, 74 shots, and it just took me, uh, what did you say, 51, 52 minutes, and then it adds it, yeah. adds it up. Um, as we sort of know, Jamie had the unofficial uh, best score over the weekend in the world uh, of 100, which was uh, amazing. Um, I've also set um, a best score record for the women's game at 121 total. Um, played that a couple of years ago at Tahara at uh, Taupo, shooting um, 72 in 49 minutes. So I was kind of looking at trying to break that one two one um didn't quite have the fitness like a, a few people these last couple of months have been a little bit sick and i uh, didn't have the fitness where i wanted to so i was quite happy with a, a one two six um effort but it didn't break any um official or unofficial records so liz uh, we're talking to liz mckinnon by the way folks uh, absolute champion at speed golf uh, controls absolutely dominates the women's side of things uh, Liz, in terms of uh, the course setup, uh, we're used to uh, when we play slow golf, looking at uh, the way our course is set up with black tees, uh, yellow tees, etc. What about the distances men compared to women? Yeah, really good point. Um, <laughs> oh, you're going to get me going on this one. Um, there's a lot more. I guess speed golf's not been around as long as uh, as traditional golf, so there's some rules. Around that are quite clear around the men's game. So they know that for it to be an official world record, the course playing length needs to be a minimum of 6,000 yards. Now, officially for women, they don't have those same guidelines. Um, in my own sort of research, my own thoughts was that it should be a minimum of around 5,000 yards. So every um, event that I've played in always meets that. Um, over the weekend, um, there was three women in the field and we played the same length course as the men simply because uh, for safety, just the way the course layout was, um, it was really nice to be able to directly compare our own performances to the men. But usually in speed golf, like traditional golf, we tend to play slightly shorter courses. And I think that's quite important because we're taking uh, less clubs um, and so therefore that difference in distance um, between the women's game and the men game, men's game can actually start to um, be a bit greater when you're reducing the number of clubs that you have. Does that answer? Liz, that how often sense? did you play? Yeah, yeah, it does actually. Uh, how often have you played Fitzroy? 
Uh, that, that was my first time. Um, never laid eyes on the course, really. So um, it did sort of play into it. Um, I think it's really important when you've only got a, a couple of, of clubs in your hands that you really know that the green layouts, you know, the best place to land the ball and where not to. Um, that's a really important that strategy side of it, and that's something that I didn't really have that that knowledge. So the event is going to be run at Fitzroy again next year. So um, I'll hope to get down there and, and get a couple more rounds under my belt and um, try to challenge the the um, the world record that I have. Say you snap hook one, which I, I doubt you don't doubt you do very often. But say you <laughs> oh, no, snap I, hook I one over a fence. <laughs> <laughs> you hit one yeah. over a fence, or you hit one and in deep rough or something, and particularly when you don't know the course very well. Um, mm. You just haven't got time to, to, to jump the fence and get it back or, or look for it, is it? How many golf balls do you carry around with you then? Because if you ran out, you'd be, yeah. you'd be no good. <laughs> yeah, correct. So um, the change in the uh, RNA rules of golf actually has moved a bit more in favour to, to speed golf rules. So there can be local rules in traditional golf that if you lose your ball to help speed up play, you can um, drop it near where you, where you lost it. So, um, but that's for a two-shot penalty. In speed golf, it's only a one-shot penalty. Um, so when one minute is equivalent to one shot, you've really got to balance up how long you start looking for the ball. So a lot of people, you know, 30 seconds in speak off feels like it's eternity. Um, so you're really balancing up how long you're going to start looking for the ball and just taking the one-shot penalty, putting one down where you believe it crossed over that fence or where you believe it finished up and playing from there. So it's a great rule to just sort of keep things moving and putting the penalty in, in perspective. Liz, when you look at most endurance races, uh, it gets harder, you know, the closer to the finish you get, by and large, it gets harder because your energy levels run out, your breath runs out, etc. your lungs are really starting to burn. Is that the same in speed golf? I mean, when it comes to that, sometimes concentration uh, is a real big factor in, in, in whatever you're performing. Do you find that in speed golf? Um, it, it can be depending on um, like the terrain. If there's if it starts to really get hilly towards the end, essentially, you know, you're performing or executing a skill. Especially, what can be harder is actually your fine motor skills, like your passing and your chipping. And so, when your heart rate's up, that can be harder. So, what you're wanting to be able to do is be fit enough or run at a pace that you can try to keep your heart rate fairly consistent and sort of below sort of a, a threshold. So for me, ideally, I want to keep it in around the, the 160s where I know that I can concentrate um, and execute a shot well. If it gets um, up because you're running uphill or if it had, you know, quite an elevation change, then, and I know it's up, I may need to take a couple of seconds longer over the ball um, and try to drop that heart rate really quickly to, to execute it. But, yeah, you know, sometimes in competition you push it harder and therefore you need to sort of train to the fact that you may get your heart rate up a lot higher and need to be able to execute, you know, think and execute. Two things, Liz. How big is this around the world? And if I want to play domestically in New Zealand, how do I go about it? I mean, I, I'm a member of Bridge Par golf club in Hastings but I, I haven't seen anything on the notice boards or anything about speed golf how do I find out about it how do I get into it and what are the possibilities like worldwide yeah sure um 
It is definitely a in its infancy. It's um, starting to to grow worldwide. There are a number of speed golf communities around New Zealand. So looking on the Facebook page, um, none that I know of in your area there, but you know Taranaki, Manawatu, Wanganui, uh, Wellington. Um, there's a New Zealand speed golf uh, Facebook page. There's a few. Um, um, speed golf discussion pages on Facebook. They're sort of great places to start to connect in with the community um, to know more about, you know, sort of what clubs and, and how to go about it. But uh, you're, you're right, you probably wouldn't find information on um, the golf club board about it. But I think um, reaching out to the community, going to your club and going, hey, this is what I'm wanting to do. Uh, I'm wanting to play golf at pace. I'm wanting to run around. You know, the mornings is a time that I'm wanting to do it. When would suit the the club? Um, and so a lot of courses are really open to that because it, it, it's dead time. There's no one playing there. So if they can get people out, out playing at, at those times, and it's a, a win-win for the game. Just one thing I've thought of, actually, while, while we've been talking here is um, how to, I mean, you're the quickest, so I would imagine you're like the number one seed. Do you tee off before the other ladies? In other words, you don't have to pass them. Is it is it structured on time? In other words, because if you had to pass people, then you generally might have to wait, and that would affect your time. Logistically, how does it work? Yeah, correct. So, um, say for example, on Saturday round one, Jamie Reid, you know, the fastest he was off first. And then six minutes later, that doesn't seem like much of a gap, but you know that's a couple of holes. The next fastest goes out, um, and it goes down the order like that. So, um, as such, um, sometimes you do get a little bit of overtaking, but I, ideally, if everyone's sort of running time and, and past results are sort of accurately recorded, um, then you know with the best planning that there shouldn't be any, and then there's those gaps in time. So, yep, fastest out first. Um, but I should also say, too, as much as the competitions uh, are done individually, it's something that's really social to do, you know, with a friend. So, Smith, if you're going to give it a go, you know, go out with a mate. Um, you know, it uh, doesn't have to be going as fast as you can, you know, going for a jog and you can go enjoy it uh, with your mate. I quite often do it with, with a, a friend um, and it can still be social. Just be careful of, you know, where everyone's balls are going, but you can, can still really enjoy it with a friend. Liz McKinnon, it's been an absolute joy talking to you and being educated by you. I've heard of it. I've seen it done uh, briefly on television in a news clip, I think I, I saw at one point. But now that I know a lot more about it, thanks to you, I'm going to be a lot more interested yep. in it. So that's fascinating. Yeah, cool. uh, I you mean, can I, never I have golf. a bad round of speed golf. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. never have it. No. Well, if, if you do, it no. doesn't last long anyway, does it? So, and yeah, so that's the best part the about it. of the run. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seven out of eight times would have won the eighth as well. That's a New Zealand champion, outright champion, world champion, uh, Liz McKinnon. Uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. Been fun chatting. You're welcome. Thanks, Smithy. See you later. Cheers. Uh, Liz McKinnon, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, dominates the sport quite clearly, is the very, very best at it. Um, and uh, so interesting, so interesting talking about uh, a variation on a game that I love playing in the traditional fashion takes most of our blokes uh, 52 minutes to get their clubs out of the car and get to the first tee. That's how old we are. It is uh, 10.19 and it is just about time for a panel. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah.
panel this morning consists of James Regan and Guy Havelt. Uh, good morning to both of you two uh, gentlemen. Uh, let's look at uh, the subject which has been lighting up the lines, uh, both text and phone lines uh, for us uh, in the last uh, few days. Gentlemen, um, a particular guy, I'll start with you, the Warriors. I see they've got two new signings, Ronald Volkman and Freddie Lussick. They uh, could suit up as early as this weekend for the hapless Warriors. Uh, here we go. Uh, one of them's 19 and one of them's 21 going into that atmosphere. Good luck. Yeah, good luck indeed. Uh, morning, Smithy. Morning, morning, Jimmy. Morning, everyone. Um, yeah, oh, look, I, I, James will know more about these two th- than I do, but um, when you're in a situation like the Warriors are in, and let's not beat around the bush, they are a... They are a really bad rugby league team. Uh, I know they've won a few games this season and they are typically just two points outside the eight, but they are average. They're not going to make the eight in my mind. Uh, they need a lot, a lot to change inside that organisation on the field, off the field. Um, and, and two youngsters, you're, you're kind of pinning your hopes on two youngsters. Uh, I just think that's kind of unfair to these two. They might be good, but I don't think they're going to turn this team into, into a winning Warriors side. Um, uh, look, the weekend was, was just nothing short of disgraceful. Uh, they have to bounce back this weekend. I don't know if they will. Um, uh, they, they, they're in a massive hole at the moment. And as I say, you've got two youngsters coming in, you're pinning your hopes on them. Uh, I just think that's a bit unfair. James, I, I, what worries me about this is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you arrive at a new franchise, you're a young kid, you're 19, you're 21. Okay, you come with reputation, you're a professional as such. But you walk into an environment which you're reading a little bit of stuff about, and I, I, I fear, I fear a little bit for the introduction of these two kids. Yeah, I think I don't think anyone out there should kind of pin any kind of hope on these guys, not not through any fault of their own, but purely because they've already arrived with some expectation, which is a bit unfair. But they've got little to no NRL experience, which is what the Warriors are already kind of lacking in, in, in some positions. Been listening uh, to the show this morning, Smithy, and the Warriors fans, look, it's great that they're really passionate. Um, I will say, I don't think sacking Nathan Brown or anything like that is, is the right way to go. What they did push up against the Sharks, guys, right, it was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what, that second half, you kind of look around and go, what, what is actually happening? They, they couldn't come up with, with any kind of answers, and the Sharks must have been thinking, this is, a, this is great, we'll play with 12 players every week. But these, these two young guys, that, they shouldn't come into the side straight away, I feel, because that'll just mount more pressure on them. But, yeah, I, I really don't know. I hope, I hope the club look after them right, and I hope fans, give them a bit of leeway as well. They'll, they'll obviously be good kids and good players coming through that Roosters system. They'll be great young men. But Warriors fans shouldn't pin a lot of hope or expectation on these guys because that's simply not fair. It wouldn't be fair to do, especially after what they've dished up over the past few weeks. OK. Prospects for this weekend. It's only team naming Tuesday. We're a long way out. But prospects uh, for turning this one around quickly, as they tend to do, James. Yeah, they they need to win. Um, but before the season carries on much more, they need to put in a performance that they're really happy with, which I don't think uh, they've done so far this year. And a few players have, have spoken about that. I see Sean Johnson's made some comments where he's put his hand up and said, 
I haven't been good enough and we haven't been able to put in a performance that we're really happy with. And they need to do that really quick. Otherwise, the season will get away on them. Whether that's changing a few things up, I don't think you can rip the side to shreds and, and bring in new players because I don't think they've got the depth to do that. Whether it's moving a few, a few players around, putting Dan Watson as a Lesniak at fullback, maybe getting him on the ball, ball, a ball a bit more, um, finding a better way to, to let Reese Walsh run around a bit more, which is what, he, what he's so good at. Um, it would be nice to see a couple of changes after what they, they came up with against the Sharks because they just look like Possum called in the headlights. They, they couldn't come up with anything. So it'll be nice to see a couple of changes, but it'll be frustrating to see the team kind of turfed out and, and changes wrong in the front. And I don't think they'll do that. Nathan Brown's not that kind of coach, but something has to change pretty quick, otherwise, the season's gone. We'll take a short break here on the panel. James Regan, Guy have felt with us uh, this morning. A bit of rugby to talk about. I'm going to ask Guy, too, what he knows about the stadium in Christchurch it looks like uh, it's on hold again with more money being sought to to get it up and running uh it is 10 30 uh, and here's Araha with uh, an update for us big talk big opinions the panel James Regan with us this morning as is Guy Havelt and Guy I was just reading an article about the stadium in Christchurch uh uh, two things that interest me about it. One, will it ever get off the ground? And will it? I mean, there's been a lot of funding allocated to it, but on a daily basis, the, co- the, the cost of it goes up because of uh, what's going on around the world, of course. Mm. Um, but uh, two, uh, I look at crowds around the country for the average sporting event, not just the Bledisloe Cup test, which is once a year, maybe if you get it. Uh, do they need 30,000 all of a sudden? Do, uh, do we need 30,000 seated stadiums in this country? I would have thought 30,000 would be a, a good number. Um, maybe 25 is, is, is maybe all you need. I don't know how much of a co- how much that would bring down in terms of cost. Look, th- this is this is so disappointing for Christchurch, a, a city that has um, not just in sport but in, in general life has taken so long to bounce back to its feet because of um, indecision from so many people in, in terms of councils, in terms of government, uh, all that sort of thing. I mean, if you've been to Christchurch in the last few years, I know the city centre is starting to get back on its feet and it's, it's actually really nice what they've done. But if you go anywhere else outside of that, out, out to the areas that were affected by the earthquake, which was what, over a decade ago, uh, there are still so many holes in the place. They still haven't fixed so many parts of the city it's so disappointing, it's so sad, and this is another thing, and from a sporting point of view, it makes me even sadder that, that Christchurch still has an absolute dog of a stadium, and, and, and we're now at a stage where they might put, put this new project on hold again. Um, it, it's, it's incredibly disappointing, uh, another $50 million that they say, if they, if they keep on putting it off, then as you say, uh, with the cost of living, the cost of everything else going up, it's just going to increase how much a new stadium is going to cost to build. So get on with it, hurry up, give Christchurch what it deserves, get some sport, some decent sport back down there, um, whether that's a 20, 25, 30,000 seat stadium, whatever it is, just hurry up and build it. Yeah, it just can't afford to sit in the middle of the city, that my thinking, uh, Guy, and just be left empty. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, Christchurch of all cities seems to be the hardest uh, to get things uh, going with. They finally turn a sod of soil and, and uh, they put a lot of publicity around that and then, of course, that sod of soil is still the only part of, piece of ground that's 
actually been touched. So, oh, I, as you say, it is just such an annoying thing. Given the location, right by the cardboard cathedral, there walking distance to pretty much everything. Um, but it, it just it's just so frustrating, guy. It just it gets to me, and I'm a visitor. <laughs> Look, I, I haven't lived in Christchurch now for, for for over a decade. Before the earthquakes, is when I moved up to Auckland. But I, my my parents are still down there. Um, my sister's still down there, and I still have a lot of friends and family friends, obviously down there. And, and they're all sports fans, and, and so I am speaking from a sports point of view. And I'm sure there'd be people in the city who are interested in other things, saying that they don't need a stadium. But um, Christchurch has been a sporting stronghold in New Zealand for so long. Sport is a big part of the city. Um, and and for so long they've missed out on, on big opportunities. The Rugby World Cup, they weren't able to get any games down there because um, they didn't have a stadium to play at. And granted, that was just after mm. the earthquakes, but still very disappointing to the city. Uh, the Cricket World Cup, they've got a great cricket ground there, so so why can't they get another ground that, that, that had a decent ground? I know they've got this... Mm. this this what was supposed to be a temporary stadium but if you've ever been there and I know you would have for a few matches Smithy it's so bloody cold it's hard to actually enjoy any decent sporting event there uh, because even on a nice day the, 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 the breeze just blows through and it's so incredibly cold it's not a great vantage point to watch from the stands um, and, and I just feel like the people of Christchurch are missing out on, on great sporting events and as you say, they, they turn the soil and, and then all of a sudden things pause again and, and we're left to wait a few more years. So, as I say, hurry up, get on with it, um, lock it in. The longer yeah. you wait, the more it's going to cost and, and the more we're going to be having these discussions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, that stadium just uh, oozes the word temporary to me. Temporary toilets, temporary changing facilities, <laughs> temporary everything. So that, that's, uh, that's all it means. And it's been temporary for too long. It's now current uh, and almost fixed. Uh, James, uh, getting away from that subject as well, uh, going to Black Caps are going to three stadiums, which I think will pretty be pretty well populated for the start of Test matches anyway on a very even series. Your expectations from the Black Caps and the series against England? Yeah, really looking forward to this one, and it's that classic getting up in the middle of the night and kind of drifting in and out of sleep watching the Black Caps tackle England. Um, from both sides' point of view, I think we're going to get a good look into into the hat how the next couple of years are going to go from New Zealand's point of view. Obviously, no Ross Taylor. A couple of guys have come in, and that depth that we've been on about for the past couple of years will, will be tested, I think, even if it's not the best England side, going over there in, in those conditions is always uh, a little bit tricky. But from an England point of view, obviously, Ben Stokes, the first real test, uh, first captaincy, it'll be interesting to see who gets picked after the, the kind of fallout from the Ashes with Gordon Anderson missing out on that uh, tour, I think, the West Indies. So, a lot of interesting um, cricket to come, but before that, the selections and who kind of gets the nod ahead of who, I think, is going to be going to be fascinating. And yeah, another chance. Is, I'm really excited to see Ben Conway out there again um, in those conditions and, and to see what he can come up with. And he's just one of the, a number of players, and I think we'll turn it on. And hopefully, it's going to be a great series. But a lot of intriguing uh, build-up, especially to come. I think. Guy, there seems to me a, a little bit more surety about our, us. I mean, normally when you head to a place like England, uh, you're sort of experimenting, trying to work out your combinations, etc. It seems we've pretty much sorted. They're anything but. I mean, for instance, they've just named a captain, but they haven't, to my knowledge, mm. named a coach. Uh, they um, are nowhere near formulating a batting lineup. There's still question marks about Broad and Anderson coming back in. I mean, it, 
to me, I mean, what are we looking? Three weeks out? This is crazy. This, this is as good a chance as New Zealand will have of going over there and winning another series in England at, at the moment. Uh, a three-match series, a proper series uh, over there. Um, for everything that you just mentioned, New Zealand's quite settled. England is a bit all over the place at the moment. They've still got some great players, obviously, uh, and some decent cattle that, that, that you suspect would, will, will put up a fight. But they've been in, in a little bit of a disorganised phase. I'll use that word for, for a few months now. And, and as you say, three weeks out from the first test, there's still so much that is up in the air around how they will look uh, on and off the park. Um, I, I think New Zealand is a good chance of, of doing very well over the air. I think there are two players who I'm looking at to, to, to really stand up. One's Kyle Jamieson who um, obviously burst onto the scene, had a superb, well, arguably as good a start to his test career as you could hope, wasn't as productive or as as as, um, as lethal, I suppose, as he has been in, in the home summer just been. And, and that was slightly disappointing from my point of view. Uh, I know he's had a bit of time off cricket recently, so I hope he comes into the series refreshed. I hope he can get back to that that lethal way of bowling that he had where he just, um, you know, was all over batsmen from the word go. I'd like to see that. And the other one, and I wouldn't say there's pressure on him, but I'm just, um, I was really impressed by how Will Young went at the top of the order, and I hope he can continue that over there. And if, if, if New Zealand has a strong one-two, and, and obviously Tom Latham is, is just so good, and if he can have a decent partner with him at the top, then you've got Kane Williamson and Devin Conway. Uh, you don't lose anything in terms of Taylor retiring and Conway coming in. So that's an excellent top four. Um, I just saw right now that, that Henry Nichols has actually got a calf problem and they're not sure how bad it's going to be. He's going to have an MRI, so that might make things interesting in terms of the middle order. Um, but yeah, th- those two players, uh, Kyle Jamieson and, and Will Young for me, uh, are two who just have a little bit, not to prove as such, well, not in Will Young's case anyway, um, but I, I just feel like that they hold a little bit of a key to New Zealand succeeding on, on this tour. Super Rugby uh, news coming back uh, from uh, suspension. Scott Barrett into the Crusaders this weekend. Uh, I think uh, Razor Robertson will be very happy to get an experienced lock back in there, James. But well, of interest is uh, Tony Brown's time with the Highlanders is fast running out. Um, what about a replacement down there? Do you think they'll go local or would they go outside? Yeah, I, th- I see this morning Clark Dermody's um, said he he's interested. Whatever they do, they, they've got to sort it out down there because um, they've been left wanting a little bit and the gap uh, is starting to grow, I think, especially within the New Zealand teams between the top sides uh, and those who, who risk getting left behind. We've seen the Blues come up good. This year, obviously, the Crusaders are always there. The Chiefs are there or thereabouts. And then there seems to be quite a bit of a gap between between the rest. So whoever goes in down there, they've got to come up good and they've got to come up with a way of, uh, of turning things around. It's such a, I guess, a passionate group of supporters down there, the land of supporters and the deep south. And they deserve a team who's, who's competing with, with the best of uh, the rest of the New Zealand sides, especially... We're saying that the Aussie teams grow stronger and stronger. So there is a risk that, I guess, these other teams, and the Highlanders included, get left behind because they're simply not playing well enough at the moment. And, and that can change pretty quickly. They've strung a couple of good wins together, I see. But um, whoever goes in, hopefully they can build something over the next few years. And it, it would be nice to see a local a local block going there. But, um, yeah, whoever it is, 
hopefully they can they can turn things around. Actually, you make a very good point there, James. And um, Guy, uh, that is quite valid when you start thinking about the fact there is another option now for players. Quite often the Highlanders tend to, you tend to look at the Highlanders and say they got last pick in the schoolyard. Not always the case because they have some terrific players and they have, uh, uh, they've had produced some great players. But you tend to think that way about the Highlanders. Of course, now Moana Pacifica comes into the mix and you have to just go a little bit deeper into your resources. And there is a danger there. You could get left behind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're starting, I mean, maybe not quite to the full extent yet in terms of Moana um, and, and what, what potential they probably have. But I think we're starting to see it. I mean, the Highlanders have been so disappointing this season. Um, obviously, they had a good win in the weekend, but overall, they've, they've been very disappointing. And, and possibly we are starting to see that. And, and, and if I can uh, go off on a tangent here a little bit, that, that kind of ties into this debate around whether New Zealand should have a second NRL side. Well, I'm sorry, but if, if what, you, what we're seeing from the Warriors is anything to go by, uh, a second NRL side would, would, in my mind anyway, um, dilute both teams. And, and, and more often than not, I would suspect that you'd see the Warriors and whoever it might be, let's just say Wellington, because that's who everyone's always talked about as the second team, would be towards the bottom of the table. I don't think it's smart for New Zealand to have a second NRL side I know I've gone off on a massive tangent here, but it just seemed to just seemed to tie into that discussion as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting uh, situation for the Highlanders um, in terms of keeping their best players who their next coaches, uh, and I think it also ties into that debate around the second NRL team for New Zealand as well. I wouldn't be supportive of that just yet. Okay, Guy Haveld and uh, James Regan have been our panel this morning. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, we will have a another panel at the same time. Tomorrow morning it is 10.44 here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. number of uh, texts that have come in. Chris has said, I live in Christchurch. We've got other things to spend that money on, mainly the roof on the wastewater, planet at, uh, wastewater plant, I should say, at Bromley. That stinks the whole east side of Christchurch. Yeah, I think if, if that was the case and I was a resident around there, I'd probably... Uh, be right with you in that regard, uh, Chris. It's just that I, I see this um, vacant lot. We drive past it every time on the way back from the ground to the hotel um, during rugby season and cricket season, for that matter. And uh, what you see is just a vacant lot, and that's where it's going to be. They keep saying that's where it's going to be. Um, but still nothing week after week. Do you guys think the two new guys uh, have signed on a whim due to current results? That's uh, Lusick, uh, Lusick and uh, Volkman coming in to perhaps start this weekend, Mike. Um, yeah, per- perhaps they have. Uh, the, it's a needs-wants sort of situation uh, for the Warriors as well. The fact that they're able to get them and get them and and play them so quickly is quite uh, quite interesting. Of course, they're all in Australia, which makes it a, a little bit easier in that regard. But uh, yeah, very very interesting indeed that they've going to rush them in. It seems um, to try and, and block uh, a, a bleeding a bleeding wound. Uh, Smithy, there'll be none of that carry on out at Bridge Park. More a, a golf lands thing. That's from Dale. Totally agree, Dale. We'll not see anyone running uh, out at Bridge Park on a golf course unless it's to uh, up the up the stairs to the nineteenth. Um, Zane said uh, it's coming a bit later with another thought. Uh, the one thing I forgot to add, I was always I've always wanted uh, for the Warriors to bring Wayne Smith in for a couple of years to build the culture and set up the pathways. He helped Dave Dillian take Kobe from the bottom of the table to back-to-back championships in their first two years in Japan. 
I think he would do wonders at the Warriors. Well, if he gets through this challenge with the Black Ferns, Wayne Smith, and turns them into world champions in six months, I think even he, even he would be able to absolutely go and fix the Warriors because if he can turn that round in such a short space of time and take them from fourth or fifth right through to uh, the champion over England and France, he's a genius, an absolute genius. Uh, Smithy, I noticed uh, Walsh giving Tavaga a rev up when Tavaga passed the ball to Lodge uh, so hard that he dropped it. It seemed it was actually meant to go to Walsh. It was in a massive hole 10 yards from the line. Tavaga actually motioned to throw the ball at Walsh. Disharmony. Richard's saying there might be a bit of disharmony in the ranks. I'll tell you what, there should be disharmony in the ranks. It's uh, 10.52 here on SENZ. It's the best of sport in the motherland. Tune in every night from 11pm. Jim White and Simon Jordan from TalkSport in the UK. White Air on ECNZ. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, just before uh, the 11 o'clock news. Louis, to talk about uh, racing coming up uh, during the weekend, this weekend, both here and across the Tasman. What's the major focus, please? Uh, We've got Riverton tomorrow down south, Smithy. on Thursday, Friday, we've got a couple of meets in the North Island. This weekend, we're at Arwada Park, and Notadua, and then, of course, Hawada as well. Um, so some nices when the wet, wet trackers start to come out. And the focus across the ditch for the Kiwis is on Trivia, yes, Smithy. She's lining up in the Doombin 10,000 against the good sprinting types over there. Fresh up. Tiaka, I've got her ready to go, I'm hearing. And she's got to be a real chance, paying 8 bucks in the futures at the moment. So... On trivia is probably the best horse we've got going around this weekend, and there are still some really nice racing, and it's a good chance to see those wet trackers come out in New Zealand. So plenty, plenty to keep our eyes on. We'll speak to you again uh, tomorrow, uh, Louis, with a, perhaps a tip from Riverton. That'll be great. Uh, meanwhile, we head across the TAB with uh, Paul Moati. Paul, uh, thank you very much for joining us. NBA playoffs, a big focus uh, at the moment. Yep, that's right, Smitty. We've got two game fours uh, this afternoon. Uh, we've got that uh, Eastern Conference semi-final matchup between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. The Bucks lead that series 2-1, and they're favourites to take out Game Four today. They're a dollar seventy-eight head-to-head. The Boston Celtics are two dollars. I can tell you, there's a multi finishing on the Boston Celtics today. A punter put a multi on yesterday, just under a thousand-dollar multi. It, it sounds like one of yours, actually, Smitty. The Pulse to beat the yeah. Steel. Which the Pulse did of a dollar eighty-five. The Washington Mystics to beat the Minnesota Lynx yesterday, which they did at a dollar seventy, and the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers minus two and a half points against the Heat yesterday at a dollar ninety. Those three have all come in, all on to the Boston Celtics to win today at a dollar eighty-seven. That's to return just under eleven thousand dollars. So one punter really hoping that the luck of the Irish go the way of the Celtics today, and they can turn the tables on their Game 3 loss against the Milwaukee Bucks uh, and come out with a victory. For them to do that, I guess they're going to look to Jason Tatum to have a, a better game than he did last time out. He was 0-6 from, 0 from the three-point line, 4 of 19 from the field, 
only scored 10 points against the... Your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's a massive year for field hockey. The calendar is uh, starting to fill up very quickly with the Trans-Tasman Series that gets underway tonight at Auckland's National Hockey Centre that features the, the women's black sticks uh, with the men to play next month. And they are up against uh, the Hockey Roos, who are a very powerful number three ranked side in the world. So a real challenge for our girls. Uh, joining us uh, in the studio in Auckland, actually, actually are the, the uh, two respective CEOs uh, Hockey New Zealand CEO Anthony Crummy plus uh, Hockey Australia CEO David Priles. David, if I can uh, address you first of all, uh, must be very, very um, satisfying to actually see a game of hockey with uh, all the organisation and all the uh, all the disorder and disharmony around COVID, etc. So to get the girls out, there will be be great for you. Yeah, good morning, Ian. We were just talking last night. It was uh, it was lovely to to go through customs for the first time since. Um, <laughs> Late 2019, but um, obviously it's been a long time since Tokyo. We've gone through a significant amount of change within our program as well as uh, administration-wise. So we're looking forward to letting the sticks do the talking. So let tell us a, a wee bit about the changes you've, you've implemented. Yeah, so organisation-wide, um, we went through a, a pretty... Uh, well, we went through an independent review last year, which was pretty public. Um, since then... Um, and our president joined uh, in December, so a new president, new high-performance director, effectively a new full-time head coach, um, Katrina Powell. I've been in the role now for three and a half months, and we have four new board directors. So um, from that aspect, it's been um, it's been pretty big. Well, Anthony, uh, you've been in there. You're a veteran in the job then as uh, compared to David because I can recall uh, when you left New Zealand cricket, uh, to go across to uh, Hockey New Zealand. Tell us about that, um, the, the way you, you've come across and the, the differences between the cricket and the hockey from your perspective. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Good to see you again, mate. Um, yeah, it's been a fan, uh, fascinating year, really, you know, with, uh, obviously with everyone, you know, navigating COVID. So um, <clears throat> very much a year of sort of dealing with everything that's right in front of you and not, not a lot much more. So, um, But like David, you know, we've been through a, a lot of change at Hockey New Zealand Um New high performance directors, although he's now jumped into the coaching seat for a little while. Um, new whole bunch of new staff, new GM, commercial, um, and uh, you know a number of other key staff. So that's been great. We've been resetting our organisation, but equally in the um, high performance programs, just great to be playing again. The, the teams have been preparing really well. Um, you know, shame that we had to delay the men, but hey, we're still playing, and that's that's the main thing. So, um, but yeah, it's just been uh, it's been great to be back up and running uh, post-Tokyo, to be honest, and hopefully we can get some consistency and stable content going forward. So all going well, uh, the Kookaburras and the men's black sticks will uh, go at it, uh, what, around Queen's birthday weekend? Is that, and, and under what format? Yeah, so the, um, the men are playing four games, uh, like women, uh, starting on the 31st of May, 2nd of June, 4th and 5th of June. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, David, tell us a wee bit about um, the depth of hockey in Australia. Can you? I mean, we have problems at the moment uh, getting participation at school levels in a number of our sport, and then that, of course, transitions into coach teams, et cetera, and clubs, what have you. Uh, how's it, how's, um, because it, you look at Australia, it's always been a powerhouse uh, in field hockey. So how, how strong is it now? 
Yeah, good question. We have obviously eight states. Five of them have increased their participation to, to this time. The, the worrying trend across the whole of Australian sport is Victoria and New South Wales, who were locked down for the majority of the last sort of two years. So uh, there's a lack of confidence. So we've taken a little bit of a decrease in in our participation slash membership across those two major states. As I said, we're not the only sport to have to have had that. We've got about 93,000 members across the country. So it's still quite strong, um, but we're up against the same challenges as what you are over here, which is, you know, we're, we're all fighting for the same for the same participant, if I could say that. And, and there's a significant amount of more competition in female sport in Australia. Um, the Australian Football League, or, or Aussie Rules Football now, has become increasingly popular, basketball, uh, netball, even rugby league in some parts of the country. So competition for participants has actually increased, which means we need to be more innovative uh, and more flexible in the way we are taking our product to market. Anthony, uh, what about from from your point of view along the same lines? I mean, you're up against rugby, of course, you're up against uh, football, um, various other forms of those two games as well. You've got netball with the women, of course, basketball is a burgeoning young sport. How are you coping? Yeah, um, look over the probably over the, take a longer term view. Over the last ten years, we've been uh, we've been fortunate enough to have quite a lot of growth, pretty steady growth every year by year. COVID certainly had an impact on that, and we we've certainly felt the impact impact of that. Um, you know, I think hockey's a uh, great opportunity with hockey is that kids do play lots of sports these days, as we know, as we always have. But there's more and more choice to David's point. You know, that's certainly not unique to Australia, and I think hockey's um, fitting into a nice place where you know a lot of our kids are playing hockey. They're playing playing cricket, they're playing rugby, they're playing netball. Um, certainly as a, um, as a leading female team sport, um, you know, we're really, um, really proud of what, what our sport offers there and we are, you know, I think we're about 51%, 49% split male-female, which is probably similar to Australia, which is a really unique position for hockey as a sport. I don't know that there'd be many sports of scale that are sitting right in that middle space. You know, they've either started one way and trying to grow the other or... Um, whereas we've sort of always been in there. So that's a real real positive for our sport. Um, but again, I think, um, you know, just being prepared that you offer really good experiences and really good um, opportunities for your kids to play and, and, you know, they'll come and go from your sport, but just keep broadening the net to, to David's point to how do you go to market so you are actually always got an option for a kid to play. How professional, David, is uh, field hockey for men and women in Australia? Over here... Uh, we look at, um, you know, our, our Black Ferns, our, our women's rugby side have just been put on contracts prior to the World Cup. Uh, cricketers, uh, quite a few of them are on professional contracts. We know the Australian women's cricket team is amazingly successful, fully professional to a degree. How professional is women's hockey, men's hockey to, for that matter too in Australia? Yeah, so we, well, they're fe- effectively semi-professional. We pay them uh, on a weekly basis, but it's more of a per diem, so they're not going to be able to live off that. We've, we've had a cent- I mean, our competitive advantage, I feel, across a lot of sports is that we have a centralised model, and we've had since 1984, and that's based in Perth. So um, we effectively have 27 male athletes and 22 female athletes in a centralised program. So they get selected at the start of the year in, in the national squad, and then they move over to Perth. Now, most of them are either studying or do have a part-time job, so it's not fully professional, but I feel our competitive advantage, you know, especially for participants, is that we do have that centralised program. Uh, so 
you know, we try, I mean, what we try and do, and, and this is something that I'm looking at doing, is whether we look, you know, trying to get athletes to do an, an internship with the organisation or if it's a part-time role to really help with their careers. Um, but at the same time, I look at next year, they're on the road for six months of the year. So, you know, it's, mm. it's a busy time. And let's, you know, as you say, six months is a hell of a long time to be on the road um, and just really basically living off per diems when you, when you look at your expenses at home while you're away, those sorts of things. Uh, Anthony, are we, are we pretty much in the same boat here? Yeah, we are. We are. And it's interesting, you know, you asked me before, what's the difference coming from cricket to 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 hockey? Well, that's, you know, that's one particularly, right? So athletes, uh, you do, not not that every professional athlete doesn't do, you know, amazing things to get where they are, but I particularly look at the, our hockey players and, you know, pretty proud of everything they go through to get there and what they put in because, like the Australians, they're semi-professional, you know, it's, and, and that's probably a strong, strong term. Um, they've given, you know, something to support them, but most of them are all studying or working. Um, so you know, but again, that's um, you know, it's 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 uh, you know not unique to us in in hockey in New Zealand. So um, we run you know a lot of our athletes are based in Auckland. We we run a run a program largely out of here, though we do have some some athletes that are based regionally, and that's something we're looking at as well long term as to what's the best model for for hockey in New Zealand and and our athletes and how often are they in. Uh, in camp versus, you know, um, maybe staying at home. We've got some that are doing both at the moment. I think on that topic, Ian, your princi- Ian yeah. uh, sorry to interrupt, uh, the biggest hook, uh, and, and excuse the pun, um, <laughs> for our sport, and I say our sport, you know, hockey, hockey New Zealand, hockey Australia, and I don't think people, you, you probably don't get a full grasp of it until you work in an Olympic sport, and this is my third Olympic sport, if you classify golf as an Olympic sport, is the the hook of the Olympics is massive. It it's it you don't really get the full grasp of it, especially I, I can't talk for you, Anthony, but from an Australian perspective, it is it is massive. And and these athletes, you know, we have a terminology is once an Olympian, always an Olympian. That is something that money can't buy. Yeah, I, that's the big difference I've noticed, Dan, from, you know, coming from, from, say, cricket into hockey. Hockey's an interesting sport that it lives in both worlds. You know, we've got World Cups, we've got home and away kind of test matches, but equally we're an Olympic sport, Commonwealth Games sport. Um, yeah, and it's been fascinating to see, you know, see see what the Olympics means, uh, you know, and from, from inside out, you know, what it means to New Zealand and the same in Australia that um, the pride when they, they represent uh, represent the country in the, in the Olympic Committee. It's, um, yeah, it's a pretty powerful pull for our sport and something quite unique. Anthony, in terms of funding, we've uh, in this country have always had this policy on performance, uh, previous performance, sort of as the guideline to how you fund it ongoing. Is that still the case with hockey, Olympic, uh, World Championship type performances? Uh, provides the funding base. Where does it come from? Yeah, high performance sport New Zealand um, are a big supporter of ours. Um, and look, it's high performance sport, so. It- Ultimately, you got to you got to produce results, right? So we can't get away from that. I applaud HBSNZ have gone to a slightly different model where there's you know a longer term um, certainty of funding. So you've actually got to you might have campaigned, for example, through to Paris, so you know what you're dealing with. So you've got a chance to really uh, really respond. You know, the, the the trick is if it's too short term, then obviously your decisions become short term, which may not set you up for success long term. So you know that's the that's the constant thing you've always got to keep your eye on. But HBSNZ are a big supporter of ours, and and equally, you know, um, sorry, our commercial partners such as you know Vantage, Sentinel Homes, etc., helping us. Um, you know, Sentinel Homes sponsoring this this tour now. All of these um, all these partners are critical to the success of the sport. 
Is, uh, David, is that the situation too um, in Australia? Like, um, you know, so you finish, uh, say you finish second, third, gold medal, a uh, silver medal position, bronze medal position. Does that have any bearing on the resources you have available going forward to the next cycle? It does. Yeah. It does. Oh, I'll try to be a bit diplomatic <laughs> here, Ian. So we get funded, a major funder, and we appreciate it from the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, we're funded, so there's a different there's a different pool of funds for the men, um, and a different pool for the women. Um, the men, obviously, were very unlucky not to win a gold medal, lucky to win a silver medal, um, depending on how you look at it. Obviously, we lost in, in extra time penalties, but they kept their funding. Um, our hockey ruse uh, still the most uh, successful Australian female team ever. At, the Olympic Games, but we haven't won a medal for 20 years, so we got cut, uh, which is fair. Um, but because of the magnitude of the cut, we weren't able to select 27 in the centralised program. If you, if anyone would have heard before, obviously there's 27 male, 22 female. Um, so we've had to make some changes. Uh, 22, as I said, in the centralised squad. Um, rather than two full-time assistant coaches, we have one, and then we bring one in from a, from the state network. Um, same with the, with uh, with the analytic work. So. We've had to be a little bit more flexible in the last couple of months, but um, you can only deal with the cards you dealt. Well, the other thing, of course, um, Anthony, uh, you, know, you, you do you have to pick bigger squads these days too, which is more costly because you have to, not just for injury, which used to be the old style of thing, injury was the only thing that would rule somebody out. Now, of course, you've got to look at all the other sorts of variables as well. So um, that is costly, bigger squads. And I noticed, what, 22 uh, in each of the squads for t- this four-match series. So uh, bringing that together is not cheap. No, you're right, Ian. And, um, yeah, so we, we contract 25 players on both the men and women. And then, we yeah, we selected for this this tour. Um, this tour, we've got, yes, squad of 22. So you're right, you do need to have that cover. And it's always always a balance of, um, you know, how far you can stretch your, stretch your pennies. You know, we had a, we had a small cut ourselves, um, a modest cut from HBSNZ this year. And, That'll take us through to Paris, and you know that's just life in life in uh, in sports, just as David's talked about it at, at his end. So, you know, you, you deal with what's in front of you, but yeah, it's not uh, it's not cheap. But hey, it's the sport ring. One of the other things, David, is uh, the other thing about uh, particularly women's sport these days, and men's sport to a, a slightly lesser degree. You certainly don't hear as much about it, and that is it's player welfare. Um, you know, uh, the background and the, and how. Um, we look after our athletes, or perceived to be, and when I say we, I mean you, basically, as CEOs, that, that comes under your umbrella. Has that been a, a bigger focus of late for not just Australian hockey, but Australian sport? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's been pretty public in Australian sport the last couple of years about um, cultural reviews. Uh, hockey, we were obviously part of one at the start of last year that was that was very public. I know gymnastics has gone through it, swimming's gone through it, Um Football, as in soccer, is actually going currently going through it. So, uh, yes, it is very topical. Um, obviously, everyone's looking for a story as well. Um, there's plenty of journalists looking out there for, for those stories. So we take it very seriously. Um, I'm pleased our athlete, our full-time athlete health and wellbeing manager is actually on this trip. It's the first overseas trip he's been on, and I think it's really important for me as a CEO whenever our, our national team's do travel. I, I like to be here, not just as a you know as a as a fan, but also just to ensure that um, there's a level of um, 
I suppose, governance off the field, um, our high-performance directors here as well. So we're taking it really seriously. Um, but as a CEO of a, of a national body, we've got to be very, very careful that we are ticking every box and that all our athletes are feeling comfortable. Um, we've actually now employed a, a mindfulness coach. She's uh, she's based in Melbourne, but um, she's over here with the team at the moment. And I was, I was fortunate enough, I, I sat in a session last night, which was fantastic. So we're spending a lot more money and resources on this area, yes. Yeah, interesting, Anthony. Uh, of course, hockey, New Zealand Hockey did a review, what, back in 2019. Are you confident from that review that things are pretty much in place in that regard? Yeah, definitely. We've had, look, yeah, we've had our own own challenges and our own learnings to 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 um, to learn through that process. So, you know, what I'd say it's it's a constant evolution, and you know, you're always trying to improve. You're always trying to make things better. Um, and and how do you just keep making the environment better? And and I think you know, historically, maybe often these things have been seen as you know, well-being and um, you know, athlete voice, etc., being sort of mutually exclusive to hard edge high performance and. I don't agree with that at all. Um, I think athletes that are feeling, you know, safe, comfortable, and well supported are, are clearly going to uh, perform better. You know, I think that's actually what uh, what is equally, um, you know, equally important that everyone realises that these two things aren't at odds with each other. And I do think, as a, as sports in the past, that may have been kind of where it's come. So, um, you know, look, we've always got work to do, Ian, and we're always looking at it. Um, we don't quite have as much money as my mate across the table there, so we don't have quite all the uh, all the bells and whistles. But ultimately, it's about making sure you're doing all the right things and giving athletes, you know, their, their chance and their, their, their right voice um, and just continually evolving as you go, and, and that's kind of where we're heading. Starts tonight, a uh, four-match series uh, between uh, women, black sticks, and, of course, the hockey roos. Uh, your squad that you've brought over, uh, David, uh, from uh, what point? That point of view is this a development squad, or is this very much a, a squad from which your serious candidates will emerge for Commonwealth Games World Championships coming up? Uh, how do you picture the squad? Yeah, uh, we are picking a World Cup squad and Com Games squad next week. So, very much so, the 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 players over here will be selected. Um, based on performance, we have four debutants tonight. So we had um, after Tokyo, we had five experienced players retire, um, and it was lovely to see last night. You know, the four new girls getting presented with their with their hockey roos, um, playing tops, and and from our from our coach um, Katrina Powell, who is obviously a legend of the sport. Um, it was pretty emotional last night, which was great. Um, but yes, very much. Um, it is a developing squad. I wouldn't. It's not a development squad. It's a developing squad um, with our aim firmly focused on meddling in Paris with this group. Okay. Well, Anthony, we've got to fire it back at you in that regard as well. You've got an, an interim coach. You talked about him, uh, Darren Smith, coming in just uh, until the end of the Commonwealth Games as such. Tell us a wee bit about his squad uh, for this four-match series. Yeah, so probably not too similar to uh, to the hockey roos. We've got a young young squad. I think uh, it's pretty well documented. I think we lost about over a thousand caps in the last uh, since Tokyo, and that's you know pretty natural mm. with the cycle. So um, you know we've got a really young group. You know, two new captains, uh, Megan and Olivia. Um, a lot of young players. We've got five debutants ourselves into this um, into this tour. So, you know, it really is a wide open road for this group to start, you know, writing their own history, really. And, um, you know, we're really excited about where they, where they can go. Clearly young and 
but it's all in front of them. And um, I think it's actually, we are just talking about yesterday, it's 100 years this year since Hockey Australia and Hockey New Zealand played the first test. Um, I think we got the chocolates 5-4 back then. So, uh, um, but yeah, it just shows a long history from our, our two countries, which is, yeah, just so cool to be back up and running and, and playing here. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting tonight, two sides that are both uh, coming out of the first hit out since Tokyo, really. So, hmm. yeah. So Anthony, Anthony, do you sit at uh, you know when you look at that and you talk to the likes of Darren Smith or your incoming coach, whoever that might be, do you set a tangible goal at the top of the whiteboard? Whiteboard? Does it say gold? Does it say medal? Does it say improvement? What 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 do we do from New Zealand's hockey's point of view? Our aspirations going forward in the next two or three very crucial months? Yeah, absolutely. So, look. First and foremost, you know, the systems and the process and the way they go about it's really important so that we're actually building for the future. But equally, you know, we, we're going into um, we're going into the Com Games and World Cups to, to have a crack. Um, so, yeah, we'll sit down and, and work through exactly what, what that looks like. But Darren was on the, I think it was on record yesterday, saying, you know, medals is absolutely what Com Games is about. It's right in front of us. Mm. Um, and I'm sure David's group are, are, are no different. But we're certainly building to Paris and beyond. Um, you know, we've got to take that long-term view. And David, um, I would imagine knowing the uh, the beast that is the Australian sportsman, uh, there's only one colour medal you're interested in. Absolutely, but I would I would put a caveat on it. Yes, we want success and we want a gold, but not at the detriment of culture. And I think that goes back to your last question. We've got to be cognizant mm. that we're building, a, a, you know, a winning culture, but also a strong internal welfare culture and so we're pretty clear on that in our KPIs is that yes success but not at the detriment of culture um, and I will say you know it's an interesting period now we're calling it the green and gold runway we've got 10 years we've got a home commonwealth games and a whole home olympic games to look forward to so you know we need yeah. to build that runway and that starts with a, that culture of the team that can then last for the next 10 years. Well, gentlemen, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure to have you um, make the effort to come into the studio together too, which is quite unique. I'm not sure if you'll be speaking as civilly in the, about five days' time. We'll not we are both Aussies, so we'll put the caveat on that yeah. too. Well, uh, yeah, people at home will have noticed that, Anthony, but that's uh, one thing we've tried to knock out of them, David, for over a period <laughs> Mate, of time. I'm, I'm fast approaching uh, having lived longer in New Zealand than Australia, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're one of us, Anthony Crummer, you're one of us, and that's we're very right. happy to Absolutely. have you, whether it be cricket and hockey, and, and David too, thank you uh, for taking the time to come in and enlighten us a wee bit about hockey in Australia. It's a very professional, it's always a very well-performed sport there, and it's nice to know the reason why. Thanks for your time, gentlemen, and good luck for the uh, the next week and uh, those uh, months of hockey coming up. Thanks, Thank Ian. You. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, cheers, uh, David uh, Pryles there and uh, Anthony Crummy, the respective CEOs of Hockey Australia and Hockey New Zealand. We'll be back very shortly uh, with a stump smithy, some news, uh, and that was uh, yeah very interesting to find out the background there. Thank you. Up 11.30 here on SENZ, uh, just time for you to ring us actually, 0800-150811, time to uh, pick up some sleep drops if you can, uh, and maybe uh, we can uh, give you a TAB voucher or two this morning as well, if your knowledge is good enough. It's time to stump Smithy. After that, uh, we'll be looking, uh, three of us actually, we'll be looking at Arawa, myself and Logan, we'll be looking at our Formula One drivers over the years. We've had a number of uh, great texts in this morning. Just see how ours compares to yours. That's uh, coming up very shortly. But in the meantime, here is Araha with her update. Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. 
top class and looking to stump someone today. Pad up and grab your bat. It's time for Stumped on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. And Smithy up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet plus some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. How are you feeling uh, there behind the uh, wickets with your, with your keeping gloves there, Smithy? Well, confident, uh, very confident this morning. Um, I see we've got some likely candidates who have lined up with uh, a number of calls this morning. So uh, we'll pick them off one by one and uh, hopefully we'll we'll bounce it up to 100 bucks for tomorrow being Wednesday. So good luck. Uh, what are the subjects today, please? Uh, the topics today are the Black Ferns, Formula One and basketball. Joining us at the crease, we have John from Christchurch. Which of those topics take your fancy, mate? <laughs> None, mate, actually. <laughs> uh, let's mm-hmm. go basketball just for a laugh. Just, oh, I love it. I love it. Good luck to you, sir. Good luck. And it is always nice to see lots of names firing up on the board. So if you don't play today, always call back tomorrow. We'd love to hear from you on SNZ Mornings. First question for you, John Basketball. The Sales NBL is here for the 22 season, so today's questions are dedicated to Kiwi Hoops. Which team has won the most NZ NBL championships? I'll go with Nugget. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. We do love the Otago Nuggets here, SCNZ, but no, that is not the correct answer. Over to you, Smithy. Well, if Nick Mills, uh, if, if, he, if, he, if he didn't win the most with the, the Saints over the years, the Wellington Saints, I'll go absolutely he. So I'll go the Wellington Saints. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. As Brad says, you are gone, John. Sorry, next in line at the crease, Simon from Auckland. Come in, mate. Hey, John. Yeah, good. So the topics are, is basketball today? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, not too bad. I don't mind the basketball. Nice. Good to hear. Okay, second question for you, sir. When you hear the name Auckland Tuatara, you might think baseball, but they do also have a basketball team under their name after they acquired the Auckland license last year. What was the previous name of that Auckland team? Um, were they the Huskies? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, would you have been all over that one? Yeah, I was all over that. We've uh, talked about it actually this week uh, with a couple of people, so uh, and last week as well with uh, Hugh Bainan. So, yep, no problem at all. Had that. All right, last question for you, Simon. All on the line, TAB bonus bet and the sleep drops, daytime revive. This one is going to reward if you've been listening for a couple of weeks. Sam Timmons suiting up for the SNZ Otago Nuggets this season. Which school did he play US college basketball for? Uh, Sam Timmons. I know that one. I've heard that one before. Um, Was he Washington Huskies? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, oh, right man. in the slot, and away it goes. Was a hus- husky theme? Yeah, I guess it was a husky theme. Yeah, good call. Uh, no, bang on the money there. Bang on the money. Love to reward people that do tune in into the show. Nice work, mate. So the $50 TAB bonus bet is on your way, plus the sleep drop. So please hold the line, and Brian will get your details.
lucky I was listening to the Smithy interview we had with him not long ago. <laughs> Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> Good on you, Simon. Good on you. Always place to, to listen every now and then and store it away. Hey, congratulations. They were uh, two very yeah, good answers, actually. Uh, so enjoy those uh, particular products. Uh, we'll be back uh, very shortly with our Mount Rushmore, actually. Aroha is going to have a crack. Uh, I'm going to have a go, and Logan is too, and we'll see if we've got one or two in common. That will be of interest. Coming up next. SCNZ. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix there with his instrumental version of Star Spangled Banner, which means it's time for our Mount Rushmore being Tuesday at this particular time today. It is our greatest or most favourite Formula One drivers in the history of motor racing, and no one in this station knows more about that subject than Araha. And Araha, I'm going to bring you in now. That's a No, it's true. Mm. It's true. No one in this building, in the whole building, would know more about Formula One than you, Araha. So please, take that as a compliment. Thank you, Smith. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Please, Araha, give us your top four. Well, it was hard because it spans so many generations. And if I look at how many races were being raced in like 1960, I think there were fewer than I mean, there might have been 10 in 1960 mm. um, and now there are 23 so you know just statistically you'd say Lewis Hamilton's got the most of all the things but he's had a lot more chocolate so mm. I can say that because I'm a brown person and I look at Nicky Lauda who was racing in the 70s and he just has phenomenal statistics for the number of races that he raced so I love Nicky Lauda um, the Austrian he sounds a bit like Arnie when he speaks uh, my other favourite uh, is Ethel Senna, and it really was them too, as well as Sir Jackie Stewart, because he's cute and walks around the paddock in a, in a kilt still. And you can't not put in Bruce McLaren because he's ours. You know, he was scouted by the Aussies. Some Aussie racer sees him racing, steals him, takes him off, and he becomes our very first Formula One superstar and then starts up McLaren as well, so th- those are my four, and I have a little bit eclectic, and I tried to cross across the different decades. Hopefully, that pushes it out there. But it was tough because you know people like Nigel Mansell and um, Sebastian Vettel, who's more of a modern name, uh, but you know he's he is racing now, but he's racing twenty three races a year compared to someone mm. like you know Sir Jackie Stewart, who was lucky to get maybe a dozen in. Yeah, a dozen at the very most. I can remember the days of New Zealand having a Grand Prix and those people being here. Uh, it was just absolutely amazing. Did you I get go to back go? As, I got yeah. I go back. Uh, I go back as far as Stirling Moss. There you go. <gasps> I, my my father. Oh, here's a, a sideline. This is going to use up a minute, but here's a, my sideline was uh, my father was an oil company rep. Right, he was an oil company rep way back in the day. Of course, motor racing was sponsored by oil company reps. We got to go at the Levin circuit, in particular the Levin circuit, and watch live Formula One motor racing. I have been to Chris Amon's house. There you go. Been to Chris Amon's house. You know, I used to like you, Smithy. I really used to rate you. Chris Amon was Bruce McLaren's teammate when they won. Mm. When they, I want to say, which race was it? It was Le Mans. They they won the The 20 hours of Le Le Mans. And I'm yeah, very jealous of you, and I'm going to go and rock okay. under the table now. Thank you. 
you you just sit back there and listen just listen to this now because uh, actually the second most uh, knowledgeable person is Logan Swinkle. So Logan, you come on in now with your number four, eh? Who's your number four? Oh, I cannot take that crown. I cannot take that crown. That goes to Sam Hewitt, who looks after the afternoons with Staffy. And gosh, I can just listen to Araha say names all day. I don't know about you, Smithy. Um, one that she did mention. Uh, my first pick, Nigel Mansell. Now, the reason why I've gone with him is uh, he actually kind of got, he's the one that got me into F1 in the first place due to a video game that he had licensed his name to back in the 90s. It was on the old Nintendo Game Boy and Super Nintendo, but arguably one of the most recognizable mustaches in motorsport at the time in an F1 career that spanned uh, from the 1980 to 1992. He took a year off, Smithy, uh, to give IndyCar a shot, which he won with the legendary uh, Mario Andretti, and then he returned back to F1 in uh, 94-95. He only won one championship, but, man, I just when I think F1 and how I got started, it's all down to Nigel. Okay, Nigel Mansell. Uh, I go back a long way further for mine. I go back to uh, the person regarded as the father of Formula One motor racing, Juan Manuel Fangio. Uh, his uh, era was 1950 to 1958. He won 24 out of the 51 Grand Prix that he raced in, Fangio. He dominated the whole first decade with five world championships. His success rate, believe it or not, was 47%, so just under one every two Grand Prix he lined up in, he won. So that's my number four, Fangio. And he leads. Juan Manuel Fangio is in the lead on the last lap of the German Grand Prix. On his way to his fourth Grand Prix of 1957. On his way to his fifth World Championship. World Champion in 1951. World Champion in 1954, 55 and 56. A glorious race for a wonderful World Champion. And Fangio takes the second flag to win the German Grand Prix. Gosh, news and commentary back in that day, mate, just hits different. I love hearing stuff like that. Uh, my second one has to go to the, uh, I already mentioned him, got to go with the Kiwi, Bruce McLaren. I mean, he just has such a legacy in the sport uh, up until obviously his his tragic death in 1970, a tender young age of 32, Smithy. Just, you can imagine what could have happened if, if he stayed around longer Four wins in his uh, 100 race starts because now we have the Bruce McLaren motor racing team that he founded and they now race under McLaren Racing Team. They've gone on to win eight constructor championships and 12 driver championships in Formula One so far. So the name McLaren, Bruce McLaren, will always live on. Such an iconic Kiwi. Well, uh, he was an absolute legend, Bruce McLaren. There's no doubt about that. But so is this bloke, particularly if you're Brazilian. Uh, and already mentioned uh, by Araha this morning, uh, his life tragically cut short, probably died what he wanted to do, being a motor racing star, but he didn't want to die at the early age that he did in a terrible car crash. Two people died that weekend. Two people died that weekend, um, and it was, it was fateful, really. How I remember his battles with the Frenchman Alain Prost. They were legendary. Uh, 1984 to 1994, 41 Grand Prix out of 161 he won at a strike rate of 25%, which is well less than Fangio's, but you've got to remember how far advanced Formula One racing had come since Fangio's days. A lot more people and a lot more skill, a lot more technology, so to win one out of four for Ayrton Senna was amazing. And Senna goes through into the lead. He's passed Alain Prost, so the McLaren leads, Prost second, Hill is third, a tremendous gap between the third and fourth cars. 
Yes, and that must be caused by the Andretti uh, and Wendiger incident. We would assume that they may, may have had a coming together. We will try and find out. Senna going away, but I expect that Damon Hill will be looking for a way past his team leader, Alain Prost, who doesn't like the wet and won't be in a hurry. Yeah, uh, and I have Senna there too, Smithy, as my number two, actually. I mean... When I, growing up, my, my father is a massive motorsport nut. He still is today. And he also, he races power boats, would you believe? Uh, and when I think, he tells me stories of Senna. There's, you know, movies and documentaries about him. There's just so much to look at. So, great pick. He's my number two. Who is your number two, Smithy? Actually, just uh, to finish on Senna, three million people turned up to his funeral. Three million people in Sao Paulo turned up to his funeral. Wow. Did he have the weight of a nation on his shoulders when he was driving? My number two, uh, well, it's a very sad story as well, and quite often they are in Formula One racing. It's the nature of the beast as well. Uh, this fellow's still alive, but uh, only just, they say. Uh, the great Michael Schumacher, the German, of course, seven times world champion, equal, equal with uh, uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton. He won 91 Grand Prix out of 306 attempts at 40%. In a modern day, those ratios are unbelievable. 68 poles, 155th podium finishes. Uh, this man was simply amazing. Here he comes through the final corner. He started this Grand Prix in sixth place. What an absolutely phenomenal drive by Michael Schumacher. He was helped by mistakes by the Renault team, but it's given him the victory that gives him the lead in the World Championship for the first time. Fantastic job from you, Michael, as well. Beautiful drive. Great job, Michael. And so Michael Schumacher has finally put to bed that China jinx. He's got victory here. That was audio from his 91st win, Smithy. Great shout. He's, he's my number one. I haven't gone with anyone modern in my Mount Rushmore of uh, Formula 1 greats. I guess probably because I kind of fell out of love with the sport. And if I dedicated the time to watch uh, Drive to Survive, that could potentially change. But when I think of Formula 1... And there's, you think about the debate, kind of, it's, it's like basketball. Do you go Michael Jordan? Do you go LeBron James with the more modern sort of side of things? But I have to go Schumacher as my number one. I can't go past him. Him and that Ferrari red is just so iconic. Read a book. Read a book. I've just had a re recommendation to read a book by Bob McMurray. It's called Behind Pit Wall. Uh, it's a great first-hand story about a Kiwi taking on the Prost Senna era. So there you go, Bob McMurray's book, uh, Behind Pit Wall. Uh, which leads me to number one. He can only be number one because his record says he should be number one at the moment. At the moment, I hasten to add, seven times a world champion, 103 pole positions, uh, 183 podium finishes, 103 wins from 288 uh, victories. It's only the fact that his machine is not as quick as the other machine at the moment that stops his ratio getting up to 36%, higher than 36%. He has been knighted. He's not everyone's cup of tea. I think if you're going to drive motor racing cars at that speed for most of your life, you're going to upset the apple cart from time to time. This bloke certainly has. But he is Sir Lewis Hamilton. In 2020, we're off the track. Lewis Hamilton has found his voice. And on it, once again, he's found his groove. And now he finds himself alongside Michael Schumacher as top in the record books. The world championship record is equaled. Lewis Hamilton wins the Turkish Grand Prix and is a seven-time champion of the world. Get in there, Lewis. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. 
These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.